Hello, and welcome to the Healed Podcast, the place where we can talk about all things food, body, and mind from an anti-diet and weight-inclusive lens. My name is Marie-Pierre, or you can call me Marie, and I am your host. I'm a registered dietitian with a background in psychology, and I specialize in food relationship and body image. And I am the founder and CEO of The Balance Practice, a treatment center for eating disorder and disordered eating. Every week on the podcast, you will hear from myself, the team at The Balance Practice, and other providers who have dedicated their careers in supporting folks to have better relationship with food and their bodies. On this podcast, we aim to provide a safe space to have these deep and juicy conversations regarding eating disorder, disordered eating recovery, health, relationship, body image, and honestly, anything we believe will support you in living your big, beautiful life. We believe in the power of healing, and hopefully this podcast will be a great addition to your toolbox in your healing journey. Thank you for tuning in today, and let's get to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are doing good this October. How are we feeling? How are we doing? There's always such a big transition between like the summer and fall time. I feel like it's such a healing time for me. I don't know why, but it really like you come back from within, you stay inside more, reading more books, relaxing. I hope that this time has been really good for you. I know in the past for me, though, this time was also kind of stressful, right? Because with the end of summer, beginning of fall also comes all of the holiday season coming along, all the family gatherings. And I know that can be really hard when we are in the process of healing a relationship with food or maybe not yet in the process or maybe having an eating disorder. So if you need support, you know, the balance practice is always here. You can go to thebalancepractice.com, check out our services. We are here to support you in these harder times and transitions. Now, today on the podcast episode, we are talking to Katie Harvey, who is a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating enthusiast. Man, that word. Um, She helps women teach dieting, stress less about food, make peace with their body so they can feel better in their skin and just live more fully. So we We have very similar approaches to food. And today we wanted to talk about the wellness woo. So we talked about wellness culture and maybe some misinformation about wellness culture, what it is. Um, And this is a really cool, um, almost like follow-up to a podcast we did over the summer with the team. I don't know if you remember. So it's podcast episode number 150, where the Bounce Practice team and myself, we went through, you know, kind of like that book review of the wellness trap by Christy Harrison and talking about wellness culture. And I feel like this conversation, like, kind of deepen that conversation a little bit more. So if you haven't yet listened to episode 150, you can go back and listen to it after this podcast episode to learn more about wellness culture. I'm super excited about this podcast episode because as we know, diet culture is transitioning. It's also transitioning kind of like us during the season towards that piece of wellness culture. And as you'll hear in this podcast episode, like wellness culture has, you know, can be really sneaky and can be really harmful. So I'm really excited to have Katie on the podcast today to talk about wellness woos. So on that note, let's get to the podcast episode. 
Hey, Katie, how are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you are here too. So today we have a really fun conversation about wellness and it's a super great like part two to the part one we did on the book review, The Wellness Trap. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and listen to it. And today we're diving deeper on all things wellness. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, But before we get into it today, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Like what got you to do the work that you do here today? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been an evolution. I started out thinking I was going to be mainly in the world of like cancer and oncology. And I came out of grad school as a research dietitian in the breast cancer world. And so Mm. it's interesting because you think cancer and you think of like these poor, like emaciated cancer patients who are sick because of their chemo and all that. But what I was actually doing was breast cancer prevention and survivorship. And this was very much a wellness world because the prevention and survivorship research was about like weight, weight loss. And and we were doing Mm. these clinical trials that were like diet and exercise basically. And I was like all on board with this all in. I thought it was great. We've got to help these people lose the weight so they can prevent their cancer and blah, blah, blah. And, but what started happening was while the women were doing the program, doing the study, they would lose weight. But then when we would follow them afterwards, almost all of them regained the weight they lost. And it just parallels what we see with dieting research in general. Mm-hmm. The most disturbing thing was they, we did DEXA scans on them to measure body composition. And so when they would lose weight initially and then regain it, their body composition would get worse. And the troubling thing with that, when we're looking at biomarkers for cancer risk is that effectively what we had done was then increased their risk of recurrence by putting them through this process of yo-yo dieting. And then Mm -hmm. so now we've got them feeling terrible about regaining the weight they lost on the diet. They're worried about their cancer coming back. Their body image is trashed. And I was just like, this is bananas. I can't keep doing this. And that was where Mm -hmm. I started researching the psychology of eating. And I stumbled into the world of intuitive eating, mindful eating. And that kind of led me into the world of eating disorders. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, this is where I belong. And so I kind of made that shift then over to more of the weight inclusive non-diet type of approach and became trained as an eating disorder specialist. And here I am. Here we are today. And I love that like so much, like everybody who lives on the podcast, it's like, once you have that moment where you realize that diets are trash, you're like, we can never go back. And like everything changes from there, which is super exciting. That thing where you can't unsee it. You're like, okay. No, 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 but but thank you so much. I very much believed in what we were doing in these studies. Yeah, of course. And you know, it's to go through our training to become dietitians, we're very much immersed in all of this wellness type of content. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable with that. Cause I feel like it really, it gives us all permission to change and to evolve. And I think you're right. Like a lot of us are trained in a very weight centric approach. A lot of us just grow up in diet culture and now wellness culture and just believe that the size of our body is what ultimately matters the most. But to be able to make that change and shift and see like is really, really cool. 
that we just get to change and opt out when we know better. Yeah, that's right. It's that thing. Like when you know better, you do better. Was that Maya Angelou? Yeah. 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 You're like, but it still stands. It yeah. still stands today. <laughs> um, so I'd love for us to get into our today's podcast episode about wellness. And I'd love for us to start defining some terms. So the first, like the wellness woo that you talk about, like, what does that mean? What is that? Yeah. So wellness woo is something that I talk about on my podcast. I added it as like this little segment. It was like things that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't necessarily want to do a full episode about it. I was like, oh, we could do like a little fun segment, kind of a quick little snippet. So <laughs> the way that I define wellness woo is that it is the stuff that diet and wellness culture tells us that we should be doing in the name of health, but mm. it's really just based on pseudoscience, exaggerated claims, or sometimes just nonsense. Yeah. So where does that come from? <laughs> like, where do people come up with these things? Like what, tell us a little bit the origin story of this. I know, yeah. I kind of did a deep dive on like wellness in general and where does it stem from? And honestly, I mean, it's always been there. And, and, you know, if you look back centuries, there's always been different types of health and wellness practices and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to knock any of those cultural practices or anything, but like the term wellness specifically showed up in the dictionary in 1654. So this has been around for a very, very long time. And what I'm really referring to when I talk about it is the stuff that's basically a scam or it's got kind of like culty vibes to it. And in America, if we look at the history of it there, it really took off as a cultural movement in like the 1950s or 60s. And even earlier than that, there were, you know, different wellness trends that were really popular. So if we look back into the 1930s and 40s, smoking was a wellness trend. And oh, goodness. we have come to realize now that that's not such a great idea. That was also the era of the master cleanse. And then in the 50s, there was a book published, I forget the name of it, but it was basically about using prayer for weight loss, like pray the weight away. And then that's mm -hmm. the stage for books that came later, like the way down diet and all of that. Mm. In the 60s, you may have seen the images online of people wearing those vibrating belts. This was like yes. a thing. And this was the yes. soup era. The yeah. And it kind of led to that. I don't know if you've seen those two like machines that you get on and it vibrates. Yes. Oh yeah. gosh. They still have those at gyms too. Like in 2023, I've seen those like not too long ago. Like if you really step back, it's really like, what is this doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then oh, comes God. Like diet pills and the cleanses and, you know, the eighties really became more popular with the low carb, low fat dieting, low mm -hmm. calorie dieting. And since then with diets, we've just had various recycled versions of those same concepts, like repackaged with new lingo. So kind of the point of like, it's always been there. It's just this moving target of what the wellness trend du jour is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find that it's getting more common or there's more of it, or is it just that we're more aware of the trends or maybe like social media is just kind of like making it bigger than what it used to be. I really do think social media has yeah. made it bigger than it used to be. And that a lot of the influencers on social media profit off some of these mm -hmm. wellness trends. And I think the other thing that has made this worse is all of the data on how ineffective dieting is as a long-term strategy. And so people have caught on to the reality that diets don't actually work long 
long-term and the diet industry itself has rebranded under the guise of health and wellness. It's not a diet, it's a lifestyle or like a hundred percent diet. It's psychology. But if you look at what it actually is, absolutely a diet. Yeah. It's the same thing. And we're just changing the terms, but I think it's almost even more sneaky now because like people do know that diets don't work. So they're like, okay, if the word diet is on there, we're less likely to do it. But like when you are marketing it as a lifestyle and something that you can do. And then one of the things that came out of like Christy Harrison's book is like that wellness aesthetic, right? That people like are so like drawn to like, this will give me a beautiful life. And it's almost like very similar to like diet culture where it's like, you lose weight, your life will become the best. You'll feel so good. You'll be so healthy. You'll do that. And now I feel like this wellness piece is like when you're well, you're calm, there's ease, there's beauty, there's space, you're rich, like kind of like this new imagery that what wellness is that attracts so many people too. Totally right. Right. It's an aesthetic. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, as you're talking about that, I can just picture the different marketing or the images that we see on social media. Or if you even look at the packaging on different products, it's become more of that like kind of green and all natural and those things that make it feel like somehow it's healthier and like you said, like more peaceful and calm and all of these. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Psychology of marketing is wild, man. It's so wild. And I'm super curious to hear your thoughts. Like if we know that a lot of these different like wellness trends are not evidence-based and are a little bit scammy, how do they persist? Do you think in 2023 when it feels like we have a lot of information and maybe knowledge around these things, like how does this trends continue to persist, even if they're scams? You know, it's a really good question. And I don't know that I totally had the answer to that. I I think about how we're exposed to so much of it online and on social media in particular, and from people that seem like this is really working for them. You know, it's not always even just the so-called experts or researchers telling us stuff. It's somebody who maybe looks just like you or seems just like you mm-hmm. or even a friend. A lot of the MLMs out there, the multi-level marketing, oh, gosh, yes. a lot of it, like the, the products are part of that and the people selling it or calling themselves coaches are just, you know, people who have no training or credential. They just mm-hmm. sign up for the company. And, yeah. and I think there is something about that where you can look at somebody on your Instagram and she's showing herself working out and drinking this shake or whatever and talking about how much better she feels or how her hormones are more balanced or whatever. And we are prone to think, you know, that could be me too, or she's just mm-hmm. like, me and that's working for her. Yeah. And then I think there's like the celebrity side to it. We've always been drawn to celebrities and have given them the power and authority of an expert just because they're famous. <laughs> and it's like, when we say it that way, we're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. But we but also, yeah, society still continue to fall for it. You know, yeah. you to Gwyneth Paltrow's goop website, like that's basically the uh, embodiment of wellness woo to me. Honestly, the harm that this one woman has done in it's okay. I won't get on like Gwyneth Paltrow's back, but like, fuck man. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's crazy too. Like for me, it's like when I see wellness influencers, like this has changed my life. It's the best thing. And here's my affiliate link. <laughs> you want to get it like red flag, red flag, red flag. Like it just is a lot. 
Hey, hey, everyone. I'm just stopping this podcast episode to let you know about our monthly workshop. So the Bounce Practice has monthly low-cost workshops every month to talk about different topics related to eating disorder care. And this month, we are talking about movement and eating disorders. And I think this one is going to be really, really cool talking about, you know, athleticism and how do we repair our relationship to movement while we are repairing our relationship to food and body. When does movement come back in? Does it need to be taken out during recovery? recovery? How can we make peace with movement? We're going to be answering all of these questions in this month's Locust workshop. So if you want more information about this workshop and you're interested in joining, I'm actually going to be the one facilitating this month. So I'm pretty excited about connecting with you for an hour. So this will be the last Friday of the month at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and you can go to www.thebouncepractice.com forward slash LC workshop or go to the link in bio or link in show note. I should say I spend too much time on Instagram to be able to register. I hope to see you there. This is going to be such a fun and amazing conversation and we'll connect soon. I think I almost see that like wellness culture continues to persist also because like the health care that we have has some gaps, right? And I think, I don't know, states is probably even worse than Canada, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But like, if you're not being able to access health care, and especially like as women or people of color or people in the LGBTQ community, where like healthcare was never really designed for you and you're not getting the health care you require or the need that you would want. And then this wellness culture comes in of like, well, here's this alternative method for you and really kind of like prey on folks who are more at risk. Like, I feel like it just like came to fill in that gap because there's probably a lot of work we can do on our healthcare system. So we wouldn't feel as like prey to wellness culture if I had proper care elsewhere. Yeah, you're totally right. Like the barrier to entry is lower if I can just like buy this product or whip up some celery juice at home, then that's easier than waiting six months to see some type of specialist and then paying this huge copay. And like, maybe they say, oh, well, let's do some follow-up tests and like trying to figure out your health is this thing that drags on and on and on. And you might not get any real answers. I can Mm -hmm. see speak out these things that they feel like they can just do for themselves that that are maybe more simplistic or I was even thinking a while back like why do people trust naturopathic providers or chiropractors or you know people who who are practicing those professions in kind of a sketchy way they're not all like that but a lot of them are like what what's the appeal of that to people and I think it's the accessibility thing and I think mm-hmm. that those providers will readily offer them solutions in the here and now like I'm mm-hmm. gonna do this adjustment or give you this um, a supplement that you can take. And that's more gratifying than going to a, you know, traditionally trained medical doctor and kind of getting the, like, we don't know answer or, or, you know, saying Mm -hmm. we can try this medication or you can go to physical therapy or whatever. And these things that just maybe don't feel as immediate or that like you're really getting what you need. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I, I totally hear that. And I think here in Canada too, there's also part of the system again, because like, if I look at our insurances, insurance will cover naturopathic doctors and chiros. It won't cover dietitians. So even there, I feel like, yeah, we're like the perception of that as well as that like, well, they must be more legit like because they're covered. Or again, the accessibility of like, why would I pay to go see another healthcare providers if I can go there and it's covered, exactly. which makes a big thing. And then also I, it, it, as you were talking, it kind of brought me back to like when I was in my disordered eating days and I would see 
a nutritionist and I refused to see a dietitian because I was like under this whole impression that like dietitians are part of like dairy farmers of Canada and they're just going to sell me whatever. So like this is more natural. And there was this like attraction towards being more natural and like the idea that I can heal my body from within and like this whole vibe that comes with it too. That's like, I don't know, I was like brainwashed by like all of these wellness trends. Yeah. And isn't that fascinating, you know, like what is it that draws us to this idea of all natural? Like, why does that feel superior? You know, just wild. Yeah, it's wild. And I get it. I totally understand the appeal to that. Yeah. It's like, we think that it's better, but maybe it's just marketing. Maybe it's not actually better. I'd love for us to like, maybe discuss like, what are some current wellness trends that you see out there that you're like calling BS on? Oh, the list could go on. (laughs) You're like, how long do we have for this podcast, guys? We book another hour. Let's start with kind of some low hanging fruit, clean eating. It's a thing that was literally made up. It, It was made up by a Canadian fit model. And then she made a whole bunch of money selling, you know, books and programs and stuff. And other people have jumped on board with it, but it's really a meaningless term. And it's also a very kind of elitist way to eat. And so again, if we look at like the accessibility of health and taking care of our bodies and, and nutrition and all of that, it's not necessary to eat in this way that is also very ambiguous. We can take very good care of our bodies by eating like processed foods, for example or non-organic foods. So that's one of the first ones that comes to mind for me is this whole clean eating thing, because it sort of implies that there's like a dirty form of eating and mm-hmm. that it's just not true. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I feel like it pushes a little bit that like micromanagement of everything that you eat and then also kind of fear, right? Like yes. if I don't have clean foods, like even like the dirty 15 or whatever, like yeah, the, the it's, dirty it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to like good foods and bad foods, right? Like if you label foods in a certain way and then you eat them, you internalize like, cool, I'm eating the dirty dozen. <laughs> like, what does that say about me? How does What does that say about how I want to treat my body? Like we internalize so much from it for like zero reason. Yeah. And then it's just this unnecessary fear and stress that we live under, which is not good for us either. Or like the term junk food. Well, how are we supposed to feel if what we're putting in our body is, is junk in our minds, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it doesn't make sense. Do you have any other trends that you're seeing that you're like, ugh? Um, cold pressed juice is another one that comes to mind. I did a deep dive on this recently. And because I was like, I actually don't know that much about like what is cold pressed and how's that different than regular. And it like, it's fine. If you like it and want to drink it, it's fine. But you know, like a bottle of it costing $15 versus just normal orange juice or apple juice or whatever, mm-hmm. it's $3. It's to me, the added expense isn't worth it. Like you're not getting no. that many more benefits from it. In fact, in some ways, the cold pressed juice is a little bit more risky, like foodborne illness. It's not nearly as shelf stable. And again, we talk about accessibility. It's just, it's not holier than thou the way that we're led to. Yeah. It. And again, yeah. And there's drink it. That's fine, but it's not superior to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're not a better person because you bought an $800 machine to press your oranges. And the other thought that I thought, like if we look at it from a like nutrition science perspective too, like some of those vitamins don't not even actually last in those juices, right? Yeah. Right. Like when you think of like vitamin C, like it has a very short shelf life and every day it loses its like bioavailability by 50%. So you're like, cool, you're drinking it day three. You're There's almost no more vitamins in there. So like just yeah. eat 
eat the orange maybe. Totally. Yeah. Save yourself you know? some time. Some money. <laughs> Absolutely. Someone, I was just hearing about this earlier in the week, those food sensitivity tests. So like you can order a test online and test what foods are you uh, intolerant to. It Those have been totally debunked that it's complete mm-hmm. junk science. And it's really just telling you the foods that you eat and that your body has familiarity with. That's what it's picking up on. It doesn't mean you don't tolerate it. Like what it's testing yeah. for is the IgG antibiotic antibodies, whereas an actual food allergy would be an IgE response within your body. And like, if you have an allergy, that's a very, very real thing. And you probably shouldn't eat those foods. But Mm -hmm. this idea of food sensitivities, what I've seen people where like, they just start cutting all these foods out and then they've got, you know, five foods that they can eat and they're miserable. Yeah. And then they develop an eating disorder and you're like, cool. I mean, it's like a a gateway to an eating disorder. A hundred percent. Yeah. We've had so many of those here in Canada too. We have these tests and it comes back with like the red, yellow, green thing. And then it comes in, it's like 47 pages of foods that you should not be eating. And it's stressful. It's super, super stressful, especially because they make you believe that then it causes inflammation and then you're going to be super unhealthy. And like, ugh, it's just really, it's really, really bad. I'd love for us to maybe talk about like, what are some harms of adopting maybe some of those like wellness moves? Because some of them, there may be like less harm. Like if you drink cold pressed juice, like, I mean, you may just be wasting your money, but I mean, big picture, not that many. not that much harm. Yeah. 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 I think it depends on the thing. Like some of the specific things can be harmful in and of themselves. The the vast majority of wellness woo is probably more of that, just like kind of a waste of your time, money, and energy. And I think some of the risk of that is, I mean, the cost to it, like literally and energetically in your life, but for people who are susceptible to the development of an eating disorder, sometimes that is enough to really like Mm -hmm. into the throes of it. And what's tricky is especially in the beginning, people take in this information and it starts to feel deeply true for them that, oh, I need to do this thing in order to be healthy. And it feels like self-care. And so yes, come in and chat challenge this notion that that the thing you're doing maybe isn't so healthy or isn't helpful or isn't necessary feels like we're maybe challenging their own intelligence or how they take care of their bodies or what it is that they need. And it can feel really invalidating. And sometimes it, it makes people actually kind of dig in their heels even more. But what I was saying earlier, it can also just lead down that path of being really obsessive with food or all these different things. Or I've had people who like the number of supplements that they're taking every morning. It's like, you know, a whole meal of pills that they're taking in the form of supplements. And that can really detract from the quality of your life. It can even lead to actual health problems, which is so ironic because it's usually being done in the name of trying to be healthier. Oh, a hundred percent. And yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. Like, I think that piece of like relationship with food in your body, like is one of the biggest risk factors for folks, but then also like actual health issues that can come with some of these things. And then the big part for me too, is like, I'm, I feel like I've been doing this work for the last five years and I've really honed down that. I'm like, I feel like this work is so like important just for like experience. Like we are on this earth to literally just experience our life. Like that's what it is. Right. And the quality of those experiences. And when we are stuck in wellness culture or obsessing about clean eating or having to have things a certain way, or just like even like striving to get the like wellness aesthetics, like we are spending so much of our time and energy. And at the end of the day, like our experience on this planet, reaching something that may not actually really matter. And like that part, I'm like, man, wasting time, such a big pet peeve of mine to start off. But I'm 
like, I think is one of the big, a big risk too, right. Or just a big con of like pursuing wellness moves when it really doesn't matter as much as they tell us it matters. It's taking you away from your values. Yeah. 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 And disconnecting from your body and like, or like not being able to go out to eat with your family or because the only option is fast food and you don't want to eat that. And so now you're hangry and deprived. Like Mm -hmm. you're missing out on memories and fulfilling life experiences. And that cheeseburger wasn't going to hurt you in the grand scheme of things, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I'd love for us to talk about how we can start maybe like discerning about like the misinformation and the wellness view. And I do want to have like a disclaimer here and just saying that if we fall prey of all the wellness culture, like it's okay. And, you know, like I think a lot of us do and there's no shame in it. It just is what the society has kind of like trained us and taught us to do. Um, But I'd love to talk a little bit more about like, is there ways or tips that we can start discerning information? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I want to just be the first to say like, I've fallen for different things. And so like, oh my God, same. So (laughs) you know what I find now? Like I find that I fall less for the nutrition step just because that's what I specialize in. And I'm like, my BS radar is like all the way up, but things that are like improving your brain concentration and focus productivity. I'm like, Ooh, like I find myself, like I need to be super fucking careful because like hustle culture traps are also real. And it kind of falls into that wellness culture too. It does. Or that makes me think of like biohacking and, you know, people wearing continuous glucose monitors or doing these like cold plunges. And I was reading an article about how all of this stuff, like out in Silicon Valley, it's kind of their version of diet culture right now. And this oh, the cold plunge is real. I see like I'm being targeted by those ads all the time, all the time. But okay, yeah. sorry, back to discerning information. Discerning information. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And I think the more you become aware of it, the more your BS radar becomes pretty finely tuned. I would yeah. start with be aware of where you're getting your information. And even next time you're on social media and scrolling, just kind of notice like how many of the things you're seeing are sort of trying to pull you into that wellness world. And who are these people? And what's their objective with talking about this stuff online? And then to be, if you're considering actually doing something or taking something or buying something to ask yourself, well, what are the credentials of the person that I'm hearing this from? A lot of these people, influencers and stuff have no credentials, but you even have to be careful with some of them who do have credentials. Like I think about the dietitian, I don't even remember her name and I don't necessarily want to say it, but she did the F factor diet, the real high fiber one that was making people sick. Like she's a dietitian or Dr. Oz. I think pretty much everybody kind of knows that Dr. Oz is a little sketchy, but he's a medical doctor. And so even if somebody has the credential of being a doctor, you do have to be kind of careful. And then if you're wanting to go deeper to be able to look at the scientific evidence behind some of the claims and that you also have to be careful with because you're going to be able to find evidence for almost anything you're looking for. So it is a valuable skill to learn how to read research studies and to get into the methodology. Like were they studying animals or humans? If it's humans, how many people were they studying? How long were they doing the thing for? And what were they actually doing? You know, not seen as, as being as credible. And it's a lot of work to go in and do that deep dive, which is part of why most people don't do it. And it's really technical. And so it's hard to understand. I mean, even stuff I read in in some scientific studies, I don't understand, but it it is a good thought process to ask yourself, okay, what is the research behind this? And is there evidence to support it? Mm -hmm. And in general, I would 
say be skeptical, like start with skepticism and have like make something be proven to you before you're willing to like dive in and take the plunge with it. Mm, I love that. I love that. We're like honing in on our critical thinking skills. And especially when we learn stuff on social media too, like I think it's just such an important thing. I think for me, one of the big things that I find extremely helpful. So aside of doing like everything that you've named is even asking myself like, okay, what's my intention with this? Like, what am I trying to get from this? Because sometimes it's even sneaky on our end of like, I want to optimize my focus. And you're like, okay, let's break it down. Like, where does this come from? Why do I want this? And especially with wellness too, right? Like, I think we also are sold this idea of like, again, going back to that wellness aesthetic of like what we want and even like questioning that, like, why do I feel like I need that? That's something I want. What would that bring to me? Mm -hmm. Some of that stuff is even asking yourself, okay, even if this thing is true or does what it says it does, like, does that matter? And like, what's, is it going to make a meaningful impact in my life? Because some of the stuff is like, okay, yes, technically that's true, but also who cares? <laughs> but also, do I want to do that? Yeah. I don't know. Is, most of the stuff with like health and taking care of our bodies on just kind of a day-to-day basis is really not very exciting or sexy to talk about. It's like, no, yeah. Drink enough water, eat enough food, have reasonable variety, but you don't need to worry about the minutia. It's just not very exciting advice, but it's going to be the things that are the most meaningful. Honestly, like the more, yeah, a hundred percent, everything you said, like it's actually pretty simple and we tend to just overcomplicate it. And I think we overcomplicate it because now we're also trying to monetize it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the more that we can add layers to it, the more that there's new products, there's new things like, yeah, yeah, diet culture, wellness culture is a business at the end of the day. So kind of seeing like, okay, do I need to be a consumer as this? Yeah. Yeah. Or can we just take a step back and actually know there's a lot of these things that we don't need. Like I, when I get caught up with all of these things, I always go back to like, how did my grandparents live? (laughs) Like they didn't have any of this and they're fine. They're in their nineties and thriving. Like, can we chill? Can we take a step back? Yeah, like people lived for a very long time before we knew what vitamins were or even what calories were. Like we, the, yeah. the race survived without all of this information or these wellness practices. Now, granted, like the lifespan has increased and all that. But to your point, like your grandparents are in their 90s and they're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, yeah, this I think it's such an important conversation to kind of unpack all of it and the means of it. And if it's something that you do enjoy, you get to do it too, right? Like we do have body autonomy that if you're like, I really love my essential oils and doing all of it. Like you go, like, right. that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So last question for you is that now that we're talking about this, a lot of information out there, I'm really curious, like what maybe tips you have or just thoughts you have around how we can try to like promote higher standards for sharing like accurate information. Like what would that look like? And if we see misinformation, like, is there anything we can do to respond to it? You know, I've grappled with this a lot, especially in the social media space. And almost feeling like as a dietitian, like it's my duty to (laughs) spread of this misinformation. And what I found is that engaging with that content and commenting on it or challenging it when it's being posted, it, it falls on deaf ears. It might even make the person spreading the misinformation further entrenched in their own belief system. It's like they double down on what they're saying. Yeah, that's a true thing. It doesn't 
lead anywhere positive. And, and I've also learned, you know, don't give the algorithm a boost by the comment. Yes. So comment sharing, don't do any of it. Exactly. So I just keep on scrolling with that. And I occasionally have, if I felt like something was really out of line, I've reported it on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But what I have found more personal empowerment in is just creating content that spreads, you know, awareness around this stuff or that spreads factual information or elevating trusted sources. So if you yourself aren't, you know, an expert or, you know, someone with credentials Mm -hmm. or whatever, maybe elevate trusted sources by commenting on their stuff or sharing their content, because that then starts to spread more of that information out there. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was such a good one. And I'd love to hear where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, I hang out quite a bit on Instagram. I'm just at katieharvey.rd. It's Katie with a Y. I'm also over on TikTok, same handle. Uh, and then I do have a podcast if anybody wanted to listen. I, I do a little wellness woo segment in each of my episodes. It's called Rebuilding Trust with Your Body. I love that so much. And all of the links will be in the show notes, guys. So you'll be able to just scroll down, click, go find Katie, follow her and all the places. And before we get going today, I'd love to finish off with our fun questions. The first one being, what is your favorite food? It's a tie between two, ice <laughs> and breakfast cereal. And it doesn't even matter what cereal is. I love pretty much all of them. So I'm just kind of like, what am I in the mood for today? But almost every evening when I'm hungry for a snack, it's either ice cream or cereal because those are my two go-tos. Oh, I love that so much. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? It would be that I could whip up dinner in less than five minutes. I hate cooking. I don't want to be in the kitchen. It Like it's not a waste of time, but it's not how I want to spend my time. And so if I could get dinner on the table for my family in under five minutes, it would be amazing. Oh, that's such an adult wish. (laughs) That's such like a, how you know you're an adult, you wish to cook faster. Exactly. Right. I love it so much. That like 10 or 20 years ago, I, who knows what my response would be. Yeah. I love it so much. I was talking to one of my clients the other day and I'm like, I also don't love cooking. And I'm like, I don't know if it's because we just talk about food all the time that I'm like, I just don't want to. (laughs) I wonder if that is part of it. It's just like, I don't want to talk about or think about food anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That mm, may have something to do with it. What is your favorite way to self-care? I have a few of them. Sleep is my big one. If I'm, if I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm miserable. And so if I could take a nap every day of my life, I absolutely would. I also love reading when I have time to just kind of like settle in with a good book. And then also being in nature. I like it to get Mm. outside, you know, just find some of that quiet peacefulness fresh air, sunshine, all that good stuff. Mm, I love that. And then last question for you, what does balance mean to you? I would say it means listening to your body and also your inner wisdom that your body or your instincts are going to tell you if something is out of balance for you and to be able to follow that because it's going to look different at different moments in our life. Mm-hmm. And and I think the idea of achieving some type of perfect balance is kind of a, a myth or a mirage in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But, but I think about just being able to listen to ourselves and to follow that is what will most often lead us to what feels like balance and 
contentment. Yeah. I love that so much. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was really a pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you for having me. I loved it. We could obviously talk about this stuff all day long. Hours and hours. (laughs) All right. Bye everyone. My friend, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. It's so cool to have other, you know, colleagues who are doing this work, who believe in the anti-diet weight inclusive approach and are here to dismantle diet culture and now wellness culture. So I hope that you've learned a lot from it. Let us know on Instagram. So connect with me at The Balanced Dietitian or with the team at The Balanced Practice and let us know what you thought about this podcast episode. I hope that you learned from it. I hope that it resonated with you. And As always, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share with someone you think would benefit from this conversation. And don't forget to take 60 seconds today to go to your app and leave us a review. It really helps us spread this message. That is really important. All right. On that note, my friend, I will catch you next week in the next podcast episode. (music) 